thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me at the range point four. This is control. We read you. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizens, civs, captains, and commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 139 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and was recorded on Friday, September 30th, and made available for download Tuesday, October 4th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Ostron. And I'm Kinchetto. And as always in the audio booth, checking our levels and plosives is the ever-glorious Henry Romulan Ale Pomper. What do we have in store this week, Kinchetto? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we have giant robots. That should be all we need for that hook. On the flight deck, we see what news has landed from our favorite space rooms as we cover further Kotaku dissections of Star Citizen and new things coming out of the UK studio, results from the Ask Me Anything video Dual Universe put out, and a brief look at another early access survival crafting exploration space sim, Imperion. We then debate helping versus trolling as it applies to exploits. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. Speaking of joining in on the conversation, a few people were annoyed that some of our hosts didn't watch the full Gamescom video last time CIG did a live stream, and the research badgers don't have the field of vision to watch online videos. So this time around, we're crowdsourcing the work to all of you. That's right, episode 141 of Guard Frequency will be at a call-in show. That's two episodes from now, not next week's episode. So if you'd rather speak than write your feedback, mark your calendars for a 10 p.m. Central 4 a.m. GMT on Friday, October 14th. And I'll be at CitizenCon. So if you find me and say the secret phrase I say at the end of this episode, then I'll get you a patch if there are any left. Well, that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Hey, you boys, need a carrier out here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. This is Jeff saying welcome to the squawk box, everyone. Thanks goes out to listener Preston Evans, who clued us into this one. Whether it was Ripley in the Load Lifter, the Jaegers in the Pacific Rim, or countless androgynous figures in Japanese anime, a running theme in science fiction has always been having humans getting into mechanized combat vehicles to fight. Well, a team calling themselves Megabots wants to make it a reality. Roughly a year ago, a group of robotic hobbyists expressed their desire by challenging a similar team in Japan, Subiyashi Heavy Industries, to a mech duel. When the Japanese accepted, because of course they would, they're the leading experts on the subject, according to 90% of the fiction, the Megabots team launched a Kickstarter and raked in just over $550,000. Now, they had to do some testing. The team has built giant mechs before, but all based around long-range paintball combat. The Japanese team wants hand-to-hand in play. So Megabots is releasing a YouTube series covering their tests of robotic designs as they try to prevent pilot death at first swing. The first episode is up already. It packs a lot for only being about 7 minutes long, including a cannon-sized paintball gun, a short listen about how many G-forces will instantly kill you, and an actual wrecking ball. 
If you're interested in whether they can make mech combat survivable or you just want to watch a bunch of people thoroughly abuse a 15-foot tall mech, links to the Megabots main page and episode one of their efforts will be in the show notes. Well, I for one welcome our robot overlords. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny that the beginning paragraph didn't mention the one game that was responsible for all this other hype that uh, of Ripley and the Low Lifter and Jaegers and Pacific Rim. But the Mech Warrior series was probably right up there with some of the earliest single player games that ever came out in the early gaming industry. Yeah, no, Mech Warrior was big. I was sticking primarily to visual performance media rather than games because the number of games that feature either primarily mech combat or integrated in somewhere are just innumerable shame on you ostron shame on you yeah it's (laughs) not my night but i couldn't figure out if this was like a second round for these people of doing something like this yeah because i was following these guys about a year maybe a year and a half ago during their kickstarter and i saw the japanese videos and i saw their videos and I think, actually, this is maybe old. The Kickstarter is very old. Like, the Kickstarter launched and finished well over a year ago. But right. the series has just started debuting on YouTube. So that's... I mean, they may physically have all their work done, and now they're just releasing pre-recorded episodes, but the series itself isn't that old, at least as far as I could tell. But my actually, my question was, they mentioned upgrading the mech they already had and i couldn't figure out if they'd done like a face-off before and then this is like a second attempt or if they just designed the mech to be ranged originally and then when they actually threw down the gauntlet the japanese team said oh no we want hand to hand and so now they're remaking their original mech without ever having the first version be deployed you should check out this on youtube auto tracking gatling paintball gun Put a couple of those on the mech and the Japanese team will never get close to you. Read, seen, or heard something that you think might be interesting to others on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for September 30th, 2016, 124618207000 up about $377,000. 1.538 million registered accounts, up about 4000 and 1.095 million ships in the UEE fleet, up about 2600 Kotaku is continuing with their in-depth dissection and research of Star Citizen's development. The next article posted went into detail about one of the things they avoided in the first one, the Derek Smart debate. That has been discussed ad nauseum here, so if you're curious or want to rehash the whole story, head over to the article. They have 20,000 words on the subject. Their next article focused on backers, specifically the mega-backers. If any listeners are now wondering why they aren't contacted, check your backer levels. One of the people interviewed spent about $2,000, but the other two dropped $13,000 and $20,000. Their interviews are largely supportive of the game, so if you feel that Kotaku's other efforts were unfairly negative, 
That segment may change your mind. The most recent article, published on the 29th, goes into detail on what happened with Star Marine and features quotes from SIG staff and at least two sources who were with Euphonic while Star Marine was under development. The article is mostly a microcosm of the topics covered in the first. Most of the issues with development are put down to a lack of clear project management and SIG's changing infrastructure. If you want to review their breakdown or any other articles we mentioned, a link to Kotaku's series page for articles will be in the show notes. As for actual development news coming out of CIG, obviously they're holding a lot of stuff for CitizenCon this week, but there were a few nice features discussed or shown in ATV. The radar scanning mechanic was discussed in some more detail. Some of the basics we know already. The cross-section of a ship influences its basis signature. So, for example, a gladius is easier to detect if you're above it rather than looking edge-on. And the amount of things the ship has installed and running influence the infrared and EM detection. Beyond ships, the radar mechanic will also be making its way into FPS combat. There, it will be using sound to detect objects. So running will make more noise and make you easier to detect than walking. Other development groups have been overhauling the flight model, again, but this time they feel confident enough with the results that they're pushing a build out to the Evocati in advance. They're also working on expanding and standardizing missile use on ships, tweaking shields, and giving ship weapons distinct uses, along with giving energy weapons secondary damage types. Finally, Zane and company have been working on updating the UI, particularly with the Moby Glass. They showed a demo of someone using the new interface, which shows on-screen as displaying from your character's wrist, but doesn't look distorted or awkward to use. Interested backers should definitely check out the ATV video. That video with, uh, with Zane there looked really nice, that new Bobby glass. And the other interfaces also for the new menu screens, like for Star Marine and the like, look really nice too. Yeah, I checked out the video. They they look impressively crisp, and I was I was impressed with how well they managed to make it look like the screen was projecting out of a wrist, but it still very much appeared like a usable menu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was talking to some friends the other day about this game. They were kind of incredible. That it, it's been development's been going on, and I, and I and I did a little chuckle, and I said, "Well, look." You know, if you take a game like WoW, who had a short development cycle and who's been improving for the last 15 years, we think Starter Citizen will be in development for 15 years and finally be released after all the different expansions have come out. Yeah, that was somebody made a similar point in one of the Kotaku articles. I think it was the one with the mega backers because one of them was a game developer or a software developer. But yeah, they said that you know, development in the eight to ten year range isn't anywhere out of the realm of possibility. It's just that usually you don't see most of it because there's no announcement or official debut until a certain period of time. I think, I mean, according to the Kotaku articles, a lot of time has been wasted um, with Star Citizen. I don't think we can necessarily overlook that. There were some bad decisions that maybe they, they, they aren't really... Um, can't be held all the way responsible for because they were kind of filling around new scope and had their their budgets changing out from under them. Um, but there was a lot of time redoing things that maybe not didn't need to be redone, you know, and uh, the whole uh, debacle about using the wrong uh, dimensions and things like the wrong scale f- factors and things like that. I think they are they they have wasted at least a year 
in my opinion, trying to navigate these new muddied waters. But they're to the point where hopefully these kinds of things are a little more uh, past them and that there will be full steam ahead going forward. Based on the article about Star Marine, the people they interviewed on both sides, I mean, the people who were theoretically from Ilphonic were saying that it was such a moving target and there was bad communication. And a lot of the people from CIG owned that and said, yeah, we were giving them sort of a horrendous timetable and target state. Like the only thing that Chris sort of nailed them on was the the scale issue, because I guess that might have been a, ser- a miscommunication more on that end. But most of them were like, yeah, we kind of dropped the ball on that relationship. I, I do have one problem with this whole article series. Their spin is a little one-sided in some in some regards. Um, but but one thing that, that I thought was a little fuzzy is their last line in the article is that they think Star Citizen will be made, but that there's a very good chance that Elite Dangerous or um, I don't remember what the other, other, other game they mentioned was, but those games will probably do what Star Citizen's trying to do before Star Citizen tries to do it. And honestly, um, I felt that was kind of disingenuous because none of those games are trying to do what Star Citizen is doing. Right, They're, they don't, they have no intentions of ever, for instance, doing a single player and a multiplayer game. You know, there's some talk, for instance, in ED about you know being able to walk around your ship. You know, maybe having some points, but I don't think they're ever going to get into FPS combat, things like that. Nobody is doing that full scope. Uh, there may be something like Dual Universe has some sort of scope, but towards this, but it's definitely not the same immersion fidelity that Star Citizen's trying to do. I think that's kind of a unique beast. And to say that the other games are going to get there before it does, I don't know. They may do it, but they'll do it as a natural progression of the development of the game as they're going through each new DLC content or expansion or just regular game updates. I, I think there's very little issues. They're just, they're all going to achieve a grand scope. It's just that with ED, it's out, whereas Star Citizen is not out. It's a game that we play and wait for the new content. We're just seeing, we're just looking at it from different ends of the of the telescope. I think. I think what they're alluding to is that Star Citizen sort of has the, um, I guess, the Nikola Tesla problem, where they will develop a technology and get it working. And then they'll turn around and there'll be like three or four games in development that come out that have that technology active. Like they how long it was like a year ago they showed that seamless planet to flight demo, the first one, right? The procedural generation. Yeah. yeah. And then now we've got No Man's Sky and Dual Universe and a bunch of other games who are specifically touting the fact that you can fly from space to planet with no loading and with a seamless transition. And I think that pattern is going to continue for as long as Star Citizen's in development. As soon as they nail something down, I mean, even to the extent, I mean, I don't know how realistic it is to say that they're watching Star Citizen to get their their inspiration, but the latest Call of Duty game features zero-G spaceborne FPS combat, which up to this point, Star Citizen's the only one that's really been advertising that. So I think every time Star Citizen debuts a new piece of its game, there are other games that are going to debut before Star Citizen that will have that technology in place. But to your point, Kinshadow, 
I very much doubt there's going to be any one game that has all of them. I think Kotaku was more pointing out the concern that by the time Star Citizen comes out, very little that it has in the game is going to be 100% new to gamers. So the only sort of new experience will be the fact that all of it will be meshed together. Although I don't think that should be downplayed at all. That will still be a very significant feat when it does happen. You're right. So a lot of these things are being done piecemeal other places. The generation of planets or the ability to fly around the universe or, or all these other little pieces are the entire basis of some games. And Star Citizen's pulling a lot of these things together. So yeah, so that's the, if Star Citizen has a has something to hang its hat on going forward. It's it's big advertising point. It's it's that. It pulls everything you everything you want in a space game into one game rather than having to play multiple. One other thing on the Kotaku article, not to uh, belabor this discussion too long, is that it, they did make a point about how they they did as much research on a lot of the drama that we mentioned last time, um, which we we mentioned last time being omitted from the article. And they couldn't find any evidence of any of those, those drama things um, ever actually happening um, from current or uh, past employees and so um, they didn't report on them and so I you know in, in, in light of a lot of the the, the Derek smarts and the uh, the other um, naysayers out there uh, that's somewhat reassuring to to have someone uh, put to bed some of the um, so, some of the drama that we've heard over the past uh, couple of years Dual Universe's crowdfunding update, they have raised $447,870 and are currently sitting at 80% funded. As a funding goal, the lead programmer, Bai, did a Reddit AMA. However, rather than responding live on Reddit, they somewhat mimicked Star Citizen's 10 for the chairman. They collected the questions and then recorded a video response. A lot of the questions related to what the game would have at the start. Baye said that there will be something like 10 to 20 planets, each with a limited set of animals and biomes. They believe 20 planets will be enough to tide players over until they release the expansions that provide stargates because of the resource and time requirement that will go into building the machines, etc. That would allow players to explore that far. Weather is a definite maybe, almost certainly not available at launch. The upside is all of the DLCs will be free. A big thing they're excited about is allowing players to automate and define in-game activities by using scripting. Players will be able to design scripts using the Lua programming language. However, there are limits. Certain activities, such as mining, will not be scriptable. And there will be limits on actions per minute, as well as how much activity can be scripted across territories. Players won't be able to reduce hours of work to a few minutes, nor will they be able to set up scripts all over the place and have them run while their avatar is somewhere else. Players will have to be logged on and at least in the general area. Organizations in the game will be able to run scripts where any org member can trigger the operation. As for gameplay, much of it will be based on leveling up in-game, which seems to be part of the reason why creating the most advanced tech will probably take so long. For example, finding the rarest resources with a scanner will not be something players can do right away. They'll have to acquire the right equipment and the appropriate skill level. Apart from the mining and exploration, there isn't really any PvE gameplay. Certainly all of the combat, at least, will be PvP. On that front, there will be craftable weapons, and damage to ships or vehicles will be literal. 
if you blow off someone's engine, their engine stops working, and so on. Collision damage will not be a thing, however. Finally, a news item at one point mentioned being able to build a Death Star in-game. While Bai confirmed that the station of that size could certainly be constructed, though the resource cost would be appropriately ridiculous, a planet-destroying super laser will not be one of the in-game techs. So, with the Lewis scripting, it sounds like this game could really take off and replace something like uh, Second Life or uh, a lot of those games where people try and build other things in the game, right, to show off to other people. I can I can easily imagine people to flying to specific planets to, oh, play the Super Mario level that somebody made out of a bunch of gadgets and uh, and and uh, materials. That's certainly one way this could go. Like it leave it for long enough and get the right groups of people in there and you could have like oh you know visit this planet and you can play all the retro nintendo games and then go over to this planet and there'll be large like pixel art animations strewn across entire con- continents they seem to be hanging a lot of their interest on this in-game scripting mechanic they did a big post on the economy which i mentioned in news we didn't use but most of the economy, like the markets and, su- and such that they, you'll be able to set up in-game, are all based around these pre-programmed script nodes that you can apparently just create as items. But what they are in game terms is pre-packaged scripts that create like a shop interface and stuff like that. So in, in, in uh, Second Life, I don't know if you guys ever played that. I was, I was never really big into it, but I, I tinkered around a little bit. And you could um, build your own 3D models. You could add animations and scripts to them and then upload them to the server and put them in the game, right? And people could make buildings of every, every, every type that there, there possibly could be. And uh, I think that's closer to what they're going for than, than anything I think that's else has been out there yet. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the angle they're they're shooting for. They, they were a little vague on how much control and how much influence these scripts would give players over the environments and what they can run. But I can sort of envision the type of gamer this would attract. But I definitely think it's going to be more of a, a niche interest group. Because you're going to have a lot of people that are going to spend multiple hours building their either ships or stations or whatever, maybe even settlements, getting their scripts running and, you know, like you said, sort of getting their entire in-game life set up to operate the way that they want it. There have been several comments and people who've said that this game seems like space engineers with a graphical update and uh, some extra programming interfaces tacked on which is obviously a a reduction in terms. PC Gamer recently put out an article where one of their reporters said he was distracting himself from the letdown of No Man's Sky with another Steam early access game called Empyreon. Empyreon was released on early access to Steam over a year ago and is still in early access. The development team does seem active. Their latest patch came out on September 18th, and they solicit player feedback quite often based on the interview. The touted features are a fully destructible 3D voxel tech universe. You can explore solo or with friends, constructible freeform player ships and stations, resource gathering and crafting, exploration of planets and moons, and experience-based tech tree, etc. 
This is actually starting to sound a lot like Dual Universe, isn't it? Dig down deeper, though, and more No Man's Sky elements start to show up. First of all, it's a pay-once-play-forever game rather than a subscription. In-game, Empyrean seems to have something of a plot where ancient aliens feature. Their tech and the ruins they left behind are significant features in the gameplay. There are numerous animals, many hostile, and robotic beings that will attack players, and survival is a more significant aspect. You'll need to eat, sleep, drink, and repair damage with medicines. The game also has far fewer destinations. At the moment, there are only 11 planets, and Imperium went on record saying they aim for quality over quantity. The PC Gamer Rep at least believed there was a better choice. If that sounds like a game that might alleviate your No Man's Sky letdown or satisfy your urge to play a dual universe type game right now, instead of when Novaquirk uh, put something out, it'll run you $19 on Steam. Then again, if you have a different game that's soothing your itch to explore space in a cockpit, feel free to let us know at squawk at cardfrequency.com. Well, the more the merrier, I say. Oh, yeah. And this, it seems like their implementation of the survival mechanics at least sounded more, more like gameplay than tedium, like it was in No Man's Sky. Yeah, the only thing that sort of... I, wouldn't, I don't want to say worried me, but the immersion may not be as achievable here because they tout it as a feature that in-game it's freeform voxel and it's mostly 3D similar to what Dual Universe looks like, which means players can build any kind of ship they want. So of course you've got all the staples in there, like people have built a Millennium Falcon, people have built at least one type of Enterprise, they even had a screenshot of somebody put together the, the Winnebago from Spaceballs as a working in-game ship. And all of those ships, the blueprints for them, can be saved and uploaded to a shared server so other players can download them and then build them themselves. So that would I don't think you'd necessarily be able to achieve a complete immersion if you start looking too closely at the other ships, but... I have to wonder with only 11 planets how... I, I wonder how crowded this place would feel. Of course, I don't know how many players they have right now. <laughs> there are a lot of these games coming out that, you know, have the create your own, upload them, and then uh, let other people try them out things. It'll be interesting to see how many of these games start gravita gravitating towards space stuff. I mean, I think there's one called Scrap Mechanic, and of course, you know, everybody knows about um, space engineers, etc. It'd be interesting to see how many of them gravi gravitate towards space and then gravitate towards uh, an MMO-style thing. So as we were talking about earlier, when more people are trying to uh, muscle in on uh, Star Citizen's territory, it seems like, uh, yeah, <laughs> there, there's more and more of these things every day, huh? Yeah, but... I mean, this one and Dual Universe, at least the player creation aspect is, is a lot more simplistic. And I think it gives them an edge, but I don't think it puts them in direct competition because we saw firsthand the amount of effort and fidelity that goes into creating an asset in Star Citizen. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. The, the, um, the player creation aspect is definitely very different on the I wonder what the studios are doing, what they're what they're looking at, if they're seeing the same stuff that we, the players, are seeing, and is there something in their work, in their um, you know skunk works that are they're looking at now, bringing forward 
now that they're seeing all this uh, stuff in space. i like to see some of the studios put something out. I really would. I think that major studio development is still at least five years out. Because you've got to remember, the studios are still largely business-minded. And from a business point of view, there are only two space games that have actually been released, as we've discussed. Elite Dangerous and No Man's Sky. Elite Dangerous is doing all right, but No Man's Sky, from a business perspective, tanked. Did it? So did, did it actually tank? I know I know some people are requesting refunds, but I mean it was only eight man team. Well, I don't know if financially the, it tanked, but the amount of advertising capital they blew in the process is worrisome. Yeah, but that was that was probably covered yeah. by Sony. I mean, that's what Sony gave them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's essentially, it's advertising revenue, and I, but but Sony probably sold enough copies to make their money back. I, I mean, they, you know, there's a lot of people make a lot of noise about those that, that game getting returned, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that just don't take the time to return things, you know. And yeah, I mean, honestly, I you know, I probably p- played the game for 15, 20 hours. I mean, it got a little boring, but you know, it, I got my money's worth out of it, so I, I didn't ask for a refund. Yeah, so tanked may have been an overstatement, but it wasn't. It wasn't an earth-shaking. It did not su- do well. Yeah, it wasn't an it, earth-shattering success, um, it, which right. I think is what would need to happen in order for a lot of the larger studios to sort of sit up and take notice and think, "Oh, we've got this IP sitting in our back catalog. Let's throw a development team on it and see what we can do." Well, Call of Duty is doing this whole space thing too, right? I mean, there are some big studios who are saying, "Oh." People want space stuff. Let's do space stuff, right? Yeah, well, they're dipping their toes in it, but nobody's going full-blown and giving Jeff his, uh, like, AAA full producer-backed space sim. It does beg the question, though, do we think EA would ever be brave enough to try and start a Wing Commander game without Chris Roberts attached to it? After EA closed Earth and Beyond, I, I'm not looking for EA to build anything. I'm not, I, I'm not asking EA to build another Wing Commander game, but I, I'm curious as to what public opinion would be if they did, right? I mean, if they want to cash in on this space thing that's happening right now, and if anybody had an IP worth monetizing, it is EA. Um, The only question is, would people buy a Wing Commander game without Chris Roberts? I think they would. I don't think it would be quite the numbers because because it won't have Chris Roberts' name attached, but there's still a new generation of gamers who know nothing about Wing Commander and the backstory and all that would probably buy it if it was done right. It would depend on what the status of Star Citizen was when they decided to release it. I think that would have a huge influence on how well it would do. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Among other information about character modeling pipelines, Star Citizen's subscriber town hall revealed that Grabby Hands is no more. Yay! It has been replaced by Loot 2.0, which allows for both one and two-handed actions as well as multiple hand stances for gripping items. Dual Universe posted another update detailing some aspects of the in-game economy and markets. A lot of it involves pre-scripted in-game nodes of various types. The Advertising Standards Agency has launched an investigation into No Man's Sky's advertising. 
The agency has the power to require removal of advertisements, but cannot impose legal or monetary penalties. The Retaliator won CIG's bomber poll and went on sale beginning September 30th. Their next matchup is Dogfighters, the Sabre versus the Mustang Delta. Tony and Lennon's boats cancel each other out in this case. The Logitech acquisition of SciTech has disseminated throughout the mainstream media, but they have made no comment on the custom Star Citizen controller system. Flavian has started working on the Infinity Battlescape weaponry, Forever Patch 2.0 still coming soon. Descent Underground is working on radar improvements and will be coming to the Proving Ground soon. The Predator ship will also be able to drop beacons to extend teammates' radar range and point out mission objectives like the miners in Minor Mayhem. Also, a variety of advances are being worked on for the single-player gameplay, such as modular map tiles and dialogue messages for the training mission. So let's talk about the thing that we were talking about much earlier before the show, and that is the dissemination of what we know about the Star Citizen controller system, the purchase of Logitech of SciTech, and what that all means. Honestly, the, the, the news and the controller all sounded kind of waffly before the acquisition. I don't know if it was because of SciTech problems or whatnot, but we kind of had a news dry up well before the Logitech announced it was requiring SciTech. SciTech was a pretty good controller company until Madcats bought them, and the problem soon arrived with the Madcats purchase. I think they were overextended and you know didn't really focus on their core product. However, that being said, they are just a game controller company. And the thing that worries me the most, which may be or may not be true, is that Logitech is not just a controller company. It is a peripheral company, and they do a lot more than just game controllers. Their primary focus is not the joystick. Their primary focus is the sound device or the keyboard device. While this may be some good stuff for the controllers, I don't think that they're going to be looking at a game or a custom controller for a single game as a source of revenue um, when it comes to the Logitech way of thinking. So it will be hard-pressed to say whether or not they will actually make that controller. Yeah, SciTech had the advantage of, at least from Star Citizen's point of view, it was almost like a small shop. So they would be interested in doing something novel like that. Whereas I think, I think you're right, Jeff. I think the larger cog that is Logitech wouldn't necessarily be interested in a pet project like that. One of the reasons I say this in other news, the reason I started uh, getting into this and bringing it to everybody else's attention is that Elite Dangerous has authorized Thrustmaster to brand a new joystick, which I'm very excited to see, called the... Uh, FCS 1.600000M, which is a, a HOTUS, and it looks fascinating. It lo they say they got new uh, uh, sensors that on sliders or something. I don't know what the... I, I've got to go back and read more of it, but uh, it was supposed to be out this month. I can only find information about it in the UK, so I don't know if it's coming to the US. I'm sure it will. 
but this is by a company that is a controller company and a well-known one. I actually looked into it a bit after you posted that. The slider actually refers to the throttle control because oh, okay. most throttles mimic a uh, a fighter jet. It's it's like a right. you're you're right. pushing a wheel essentially. This is a it's a rail. Yeah, this is a space combat controller. In Star Trek the motion picture, you know the controller Sulu is pushing in order to put them into warp speed. Right. That's yep. what their throttle control looks like. It doesn't right. go in an arc. It just goes on a straight line. Newegg actually is taking pre-orders for it in the U.S. and it has a release date listed of like November 3rd, but there's very little other information on their merchandise page, so I don't know how firm that date is. It also confused me a little bit because it looks like on the base of the joystick, they have six buttons on each side of the stick which was sort of confusing because at first I thought, oh, it's a universal stick that you can use with either hand, but then they've got the sort of thumb rest for right-handed use. So I'm wondering what those six buttons on the right side of the controller are supposed to be for, because there'd be no way to reach them while you're using the joystick. I was also pleased to note that if the price holds true, that it's going to be around $130, which... uh, could be For a hot easier... ass, that's impressively cheap. Yeah. Uh, and now, like I said, the information was only found in the UK. Even though I saw a dollar sign, I think they meant pounds. In that case, it'd be a couple hundred dollars uh, or better. Well, the, the price listed on Newegg for the pre-order was 125 or 130 So Right. But I found this whole control. I... I I'm... It, we, I was certainly on on our in our internal boards, uh, listeners. We we had some you know fun with the whole debate about uh, Hodus versus you know Steam controller and and what makes a better controller. So please take this with a grain of salt. If I come up and bump your ship and it knocks your controller out of your hands, just be aware that I got my hand on my stick. But <laughs> A hot topic came to a head over at Elite Dangerous recently. Back in May, Elite introduced heat-based weapons as options for the arsenal of commanders in the galaxy. Ever since that time, PvP aficionados claimed the weapons were overpowered. But the developers wanted heat to be a meaningful factor in the game, so no significant changes were made to the weapons. Recently, an in-game group that we will not name but have been previously identified on guard frequency as the But Fedoras came fed up and decided to force the issues. Members loaded their ships up with heat-based weaponry and proceeded to relentlessly attack players, who were largely unable to repel attacks from the theoretically superior weaponry. This went on for several weeks and now Frontier has revealed that the next update will include reduction in the heat weapon's power. The group that perpetrated the violence has claimed victory, and some in the community are saying that the effort certainly helped get the developers' attention after months of pleas on the forums being ignored. Others are claiming that the weapon nerf was already in the plans and actions had no bearing on the developers' decision. The effort was merely a thinly disguised excuse for asshats to continue being asshats. Gentlemen, Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us the practice of intentionally abusing an imbalance to force change. 
Henry is known for posting a page-long diatribes calling out items and mechanics in games that were, are, or should be in balance. And Osteron reads all those posts to figure out what gear he's going to use. So, Osteron, why is exploiting the broken mechanics the best way to encourage change? Well, the reality is this. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Developers may not have the time to comb through the forums and look at everybody's complaints, but they definitely have the time to watch their games and see what players' interests are gravitating towards. If the players become very interested in an overbearing, unbalanced mechanic, the developers are going to take action on that first. Okay, and Henry, your response to that? You know, I get squeaky wheel gets the grease, but uh, the place to do that is to complain on the forums. Anytime you're griefing, you're messing up somebody else's game. And even if you're doing it to make a point, you're making the game bad for another player. A player that may or may not keep playing because of the way you're treating them. I just think that it's the wrong way to approach the situation. With a, a game like Elite, they are listening to the players, whether they had moved on that particular issue or not. Elite does read the forums, look at the, the way they're reacting with their jump range on the Neutron Stars, you know, they're taking player feedback into account. Thank you. And Osteron. Well, they're taking player feedback into account in that instance because it was a new mechanic they just released. These guns had been out for months, they'd already considered that a done deal. Nobody would have been paying attention to it, and I don't think it ever would have come up, except for this particular group of people who decided to make it an issue with all of the other players. And the fastest way to get attention is to hit people in their pocketbooks. If you're forcing players to leave, that increases the amount of attention because you're making the developers lose money. And Henry? I'm sorry, there's still the fact that they are feeding trolls by, uh, by saying, okay, we hear what you're saying and we're going to do that. It's just feeding those, uh, you know, butt fedoras that are going to keep griefing however they want to. They have an excuse to grief right now. And they're using that, and it makes them feel noble, maybe, but they're still griefing. Yeah, thank you both for to your attention to this very hot topic. I lean on Henry's side, but I also, I also understand, you know, that a game is a game. And we can either be upset with ourselves or we can be upset with other people the way it's played. I've got plenty of games to play. I certainly can play something else while this all gets sorted out. You know, I've been caught in the in the griefed on side, you know, where you're quietly doing your work and you, and you get shot down or beat up or whatever it is, and you go, damn, I wish somebody would do something about that. However, that being said, if, the developers only respond to the acts of griefers. It empowers the griefers to continue this every time they foresee a problem. Griefing needs to be policed uh, in any game. As such, it has to be, you know, policies need to be written and they need to be strictly adhered to. Regardless of what the outcome is, you can't allow this stuff to continue without having a strong hand in it. To my mind, this doesn't even pass the minimum bar of what I would consider griefing. These people are using a normal weapon. Um, it may be a new weapon, but they're using a normal weapon and they are simply attacking players. That to me does not mean griefing. If they were only attacking new players, then maybe that's griefing. If they were only, yeah, it, it almost strike, you know, it smacks of me the same people that uh, complain about monoboating in Star Citizen. You know, people who load up all of the same type of weapon on a spaceship in Star Citizen so all of their tracking pips are the same and that they can get more hits on target of the same weapon. 
And to me that, you know, it's you just configured a ship the same way, you know? Why are you mad at someone because they made a better loadout than you did that currently favors the current mechanics, right? It's the same kind of thing. They were using this weapon, right? And maybe it was overpowered, but that's the developer's problem, not the other players. If the other players want to kill people, then that's not griefing to me. Yeah, but the intent here was to bring notice of these weapons to the devs. And the way they did that was going out and attacking everybody they could see. Still, that's not griefing. That's just playing the game. Yes, they were trying to bring notice to this error in the what they felt like was high damage on these heat weapons or whatever. But the the actual definition of griefing is 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 doing things to cause other people grief only. Right? These people had an alternative, uh, had had other motives. I don't I don't know about that. I think they'd be doing this either way. You know, they'd still be out there popping every player they can find anyway. You know, they these uh, these same groups they stay in populated areas just to people get people coming back from long exploration runs. I mean, how many people are really playing Elite in uh, open mode really anyway? Everybody I know is playing on a private server or a private group like Mobius or with friends. When Once you go into open, you're facing pirates everywhere you go because that's all they want to do is, is blow you up. And that's a legitimate gameplay mechanic in the game though, right? I mean, you're going to run into the same problem in, in Star Citizen too or any other uh, space MMO. Even non-space MMO, you want to go play... Uh, Ultima Online. If you go somewhere that PvP is allowed, you will find PvP. <laughs> yeah. Ken, I have to agree with you on this definition of yours on what what this was. However, I think the debate was not just their actions, but actions in general. Do we let this be a, a process of fixing something that's broken in a game, or do we not tolerate it? So this happens in Arena Commander too. People will uh, do very similar things to point out uh, things better broken in Star Citizen. I've seen a couple times on the Arena Commander boards where people will rename their their online handle, the one the, the common name. I can't remember what you call it again. It'll say you know uh, Joe Dash. So this is broken. And then they'll use that exploit to get high on the arena commander board so that their name shows so a developer see what their, their their feedback is. But that's a different case. See, Star Citizen is a game in development. We're supposed to be finding those things before they get to the real gameplay. Elite, on the other hand, is a game that's released. And people are not there to be testing or finding, you know, exploits. They're there to play the game. Honestly, the bottom line is anybody that felt griefed by it or feels griefed by pirates can always play in solo mode anyway. Right. So it's not like what they're doing is really going to kill the game for someone else. You can always pop over to solo. But I don't I don't like the idea of them feeding trolls by saying, oh, we see, you know, you guys want to go and, uh, you know, blow up everybody you see just to point this out and you want to grief people. We're going to give you what you want. It's maybe just because of the group that was doing it. Well, now you know our thoughts on that. We want to hear yours. So this week's community question, should imbalanced game mechanics be exploited to quickly force developers to take action or do the developers respond to written reports just as quickly and exploiting the mechanics is nothing more than griefing? Perhaps you have some different perspective you think we missed. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all cut up on the latest news... Let's tune in the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say he's only ticklish in exactly three places. 
and that photo of his beard is what awaits you at the end of the rainbow. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Last week's community question is, are advanced customization systems necessary for immersion and increasing the appeal of a space sim, or is it extra time and money put into a system that most people won't bother with or notice? Dillick Firehawk wrote in and said, I thought that was the point of Star Citizen. Since there are no skills in the traditional sense, like plus five mining, the ability of players to do the various tasks will come down to player skill, experience, and the loadout that the player can afford. If not, then I can't imagine how it'll be balanced. Chris has stated before, if you just want to plug and play, you can, and most people will go this route, but if you take the time, learn the system, you will obtain the upper hand due to customization. Ken from Chicago says, There was a reason people spent hours in City of Heroes character creator. Hashtag customization matters. Charles Gagne said, Should Star Citizen have advanced customization features? Absolutely. If you want any kind of uniqueness to your avatar spaceship, it will require some means of modification and customization. In fact, if you look at a lot of the free online games, the feature of customizing your paint job or special clothing and of adding pets, to name but a few, are the company's only means of real-world microtransactions. Is it a waste of time implementing some of these features? No. But it's about timing. Chris Robert wants our avatars to be within Squadron 42. The feature of tweaking our appearance within that game is going to be important for immersion. Hence the implementation of modifying your facial features being worked on now. Changing your paint job on your ship or adding decals, those features have been promised. But have no place within the story-driven background of Squadron 42. So those features should and will be put in later. Lastly, a large percent of us just love to show off. The only means of doing that was with advanced features. Hokasi wrote in and said, Great episode, guys, and I'm not going to nitpick about your response to recent complaints over SC coverage. This week's question, it's a little context-dependent, as I think you hinted at. Given Star Citizen is first-person-based and we're going to be spending a lot of time looking at one another, customization is relevant. Perhaps not in Elite Dangerous, but definitely in Star Citizen. My hope is they eventually spend time on different body types. Sean Newboy writes in and says, Wonderful show, everyone. If you build it, they will come. Or use it as the case may be. Mr. Adex says, I prefer as much customization as possible. I like individuality. I do too. The one thing that's always bothered me about WoW was the cookie-cutterness of it. My first MMO was Anarchy Online, and you could be smaller, larger, shorter, taller, fat, round, skinny, you know, it didn't matter. It was great, but I haven't seen that kind of customization in a while. I think you, in addition to perfect attendance, you also win the record for always knowing the games that are listeners refer to in the feedback. <laughs> I, I play a lot of games. Uh, That's what you get for living yeah. forever, right? I still right? actually have an active account on Anarchy Online. It's it's uh, Funcom. All right, so any Anarchy Online players, look that up. Yeah, they do Secret World, too. Krell chimed in and said, The ability to do detailed customization of your own character is a really nice feature. I don't know if I would call it essential, but it certainly adds quite a bit to the game. I agree with Jeff. I think many people are going to spend a significant amount of time in environments on space stations and planets where you're not wearing a helmet. Besides, they've already done all the work of scanning. It would just be a bit of a shame not to use all that for players' benefit beyond NPCs. Amontillado says, 
depends on the game. In cases where the game has you playing exclusively, or nearly so, as a vehicle, then it could easily be a waste of resources. In games like Star Citizen, where you are playing as a person in a multiplayer world, customization is very important. Players tend to invest and attach to things much more strongly when they have a sense of personal expression and creative input. It's no longer the developer's creation, it is the player's. It is unique to them. It becomes personal. Add multiplayer ships and space stations to the mix where you're interacting with other players' characters on a regular basis and individually recognizable characters become even more important. I hope Star Citizen finds a way sooner rather than later to allow for multiple body types as well. Jan Langer writes in and says that first impressions count. Spending time on a character or ship can and will result in deeper commitment well beyond other games. Mike Foley finishes the community question feedback off by saying, Depends on the game. Each developer has a skill set, and the company could have a separate, specifically skilled team working on character customization. It shouldn't affect development time at all, so it becomes a question of finances. Is it worth it financially? Hell yes. Also, we solicited opinions about some Kotaku's articles via our Twitter feed. John Delanger replied with this topic with, far more neutral tone and less slant than the last one, and they may actually fact-checked this time. Last time was horrible. Rent-a-Spoon writes in and said nothing new, getting their articles out now, so that straight after sitcom, they'll all get the clicks and top of the news feeds. I don't trust sources that could range from a happy Deb to an unhappy janitor. Leman Anders said, appears to be factual, but those unnamed sources, roll eyes, appear very polygonish, especially considering that every new game in development has to overcome tech challenges. Big Rhino 1995 says, I work in IT. Comms are key. I have seen lots of issues like this with outsourcing. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sayo writes in, hey, long time I haven't heard from Sayo in a while. Shocking, but not too bad. It actually had journalistic tone with very little suggestion or bias. It can it can be done. It would seem speculation, but hey, call me crazy. Daniel O. Danielson says, my professional opinion, I'm not clicking on their links in the first place. There's a deep amount of cynicism coming from our readers about the Kotaku article. Well, Star Citizen has a player base that vacillates between excited and protective, right? There's kind of a weird microcosm with some people where if you say anything bad at all, it's like you hate the game. And it, a lot of people feel like you, you can't like the game and then be somewhat critical of them. So to each their own, but that's just part of the community that we have. And I got to be careful here because let me preface by saying I am not a journalist. I am a host of a podcast. And so all my reactions and everything is based on my bias, whether I like something or dislike something, whether I'm for it or against it. It's going to reflect in the comments that I say or the thoughts that I have. So I can understand why any article or anything that's printed on the web gets the comments that it does. People are very for or against, or they're mediocre about things. I strongly feel that Star Citizen's going to be a roaring success. I mean, that deep down, that's how I think it's going to play out. Others would disagree with me, but that's, hey, and that's my opinion. I felt that way, um, you know, months ago, and... 
uh, since I've been working uh, with the show. You know, I was a big elite player, and I came here because I was a big elite player. But you know, I've been learning more about Star Citizen and seeing more about Star Citizen. And I was a backer before, but I'd kind of fallen out of it. And I, I'm starting to feel just like you, Jeff. I think it's something that uh, they just need to get together and pull it off. But it should be a raging success. It's fantastic. Yeah, Star Citizen to me is the game that I've always wanted, right? Ever since I played the original Wing Commander and I played uh, Privateer, I've always thought this would be so great to play with friends. And, um, you know, there are a lot of nice games out there that are that, that have picked up pieces of that, but none of them really had the same feel as those old games until Star Citizen came around and, and I just, you know, I, I'm a diehard fan. You know, no matter what happens here, I, I'll be a Star Citizen fan. I'm, I'm going to SitCon. I'm going to be in fracking cosplay. I make fan videos and fan uh, card and board games and all sorts of crap like that, right? But at the same time, you know, I do listen to the criticisms of the game. And, you know, I try and see where other people are coming from and, and read the press about it. You know, anything that has some journalistic integrity, I think, you know, you should take a look at, right? You can still be a fan of the game while, you know, keeping an open mind and, and, and seeing where the developer has been and what people are saying. I don't think um, reading a Kotaku article reporting about the uh, the problems with delays that Star Citizen has, has had uh, makes me less of a Star Citizen fan. No, I agree. If you agree with the article or disagree, it may change your perspective a little bit. But if you're a real fan, it's not going to you're going to go, hmm, that's information I didn't know. Okay, so this is what I'm going to look out for. But nothing in there is going to change my opinion of it. It's one thing to to be a journalist, do your fact checking, quote the unnamed sources. Uh, all you want, but uh, really, it's going to come down to their reputation, whether or not you believe it all, all of it or not. In general feedback, H. Allen had some fun comparing our acronym from last week to the people Tony is trying to replace at the State House. He also said, "Great to hear Lennon is still providing great content." Our new patrons this week is. Icefire122, Sailor Bear, and Matt Cheney. Three of you this week. Boy, thanks for being Patreon. And this week's community question, should imbalanced game mechanics be exploited to quickly force developers to take action? Or do the developers respond to written reports just as quickly? And exploiting the mechanics is nothing more than grieving? Perhaps you have a different perspective we missed. Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. And remember, if there's a space sim that's serving your space exploration, crafting, and survival needs, we want to hear about that too. So how was the show? Did our constant domination of your eardrums help you, or were we just auditory trolls? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or you could hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email to Squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us will be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. 
And that brings us to the end of episode 139 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 140 on October 11th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central in the good old U.S. of A., which is Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Australian Central Time if you come from a land down under. And don't forget, October 14th is going to be a call-in show, so if there's any burning questions you've been dying to ask us, or if you just want to hear your voice on the best damn space sim podcast ever, then be sure to join us on our TeamSpeak channel on October 14th at 10 p.m. Central. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email at squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just a buck twenty-five, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, and as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some guard frequency goodies. We want to thank our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Also, if you're going to CitizenCon, find me. If you tell me that you've got one year on the guard, I might give you a little something special. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Our thanks go out to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artist Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, with all loving heart, our audio engineer, Mikey. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Empty three three zero. Carol one five. Squawk seven seven zero zero. Stay on the guard. Uh, what do we have in this? Uh, yeah, what do we have in this story? <laughs> what do we have in store this week, Kinchado? Well, in this week's Squabot, Squasswa. <laughs> well, it's a roaring start there. Some say he's only ticklish in exactly three places, and that photo of his beard is what awaits you at the end of the rainbow. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Did that come out okay? Yeah, okay. just fine. All right. I don't know what his the photo of his beard in the rainbow means, but we'll just go ahead and just leave it there. Okay, if you're going to try to make sense out of Shiv's like intro pieces, you need either really more alcohol don't. or your brain checked. <laughs> I do yeah. need a beer. All right. Hokasi wrote in and said, "Every good, yeah, no, he didn't say that." And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, you can always join us live over at Godford. Yeah. 
God frequency. Right. Much better podcast than ours. <laughs> For just a buck twenty-five, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Sony make good radio. Sitting on the dock of the bay, watching the time roll away. I thought Pink Panther was the song this season. Huh? I thought Pink Panther. No, no, no. I was just joking with that one. PC Gamer recently put out an article where one of the reporters said he was distracting himself. Yeah, all right. I said that right and thought I'd said it wrong. PC Gamer recently put out... And they solicit... <clears throat> and they solicit feedback. And they solicit... Your, God damn it. <laughs> all right, I'm not going to do another end thing again. All right. <clears throat> Our, our glorious audio engineers will figure it out.